Hey, so uh, anyways, man, I'm really excited. As I told you before, we're actually starting a new book. We finished the book of James. Then God had us go into uh, Daniel chapter 2 for the last three weeks. And uh, I've been waiting for this First Peter. I got to tell you, I've never preached through First Peter in 30 years of being a pastor. And I'm really excited after reading the whole thing and been studying it and looking at it. And then looking at the first chapter again and even the first couple of verses, man, it is so appropriate for where we're at today. And um, it's all about hope. You know, uh, James, or I'm not sorry, James, we finished the book of James, but uh, John, the, guy, uh, the disciple John, he was kind of the love guy. Paul was kind of the faith guy, and Peter is the hope guy. Love, faith, faith, hope, and love. Those are the three things we build everything on. And so what Peter, man, he's to pe preaching to persecuted people, and he literally is the hope guy. How many of y'all know somebody that needs some hope? Anybody know anybody that needs some hope? You, man, how about in your job? How about, man, in your neighborhood? There's people that need hope. How many of y'all could use a little hope every once in a while? Yeah. And in fact, daily we need it. And so that's why I'm really excited about this. Now, when we were preaching through uh, the book of James, uh, just to give James some credibility, we were talking about how James was the half-brother of Jesus. He grew up with a perfect brother. If something was broken, you know James didn't do it. Some got messed up, you, or I mean, you knew Jesus didn't do it. Some got messed up, you knew Jesus didn't do it. James probably got blamed for everything because he had a perfect brother, and it probably was his fault. But James never gave his life to Christ, never believed he was a Messiah. In fact, when Jesus started coming out saying, I'm the Messiah, what did, how did James react and his brothers react? You're what? You're crazy, man. There's no way. Hey, don't worry. The kids aren't. I don't think they're going outside. But you never know with James, uh, Bruce Lee and them. But if they do, they'll be dry by the time I'm done preaching in a couple hours here. So that's all good, man. No, we won't be that long. But I don't know. <laughs> I forget I said anything about time limit, man. I got I to gotta share what God's got. But James, so, so again, man, James kind of, it was after the resurrection, after he'd said his brother was crazy and didn't believe in it and was embarrassed after the crucifixion and kind of hiding out because everybody knew they were related. But after the resurrection, all of a sudden, he saw the living, resurrected Christ. And the first thing I think he said was, uh-oh. <laughs> and he was like, all right, dude, I believe you. I, I've had more experience with you than anybody. Man, I am not worthy. And he bowed down and worshipped him. And he became the pastor in the church in Jerusalem. Man, he gave his life for Christ once he finally met the resurrected Christ. And that's what gave James credibility. So how many of y'all think Peter's got any credibility? Anybody know anything about Peter, man? Man, I'm just going to read a couple of things here real quick. Um, this all came out of, this out of David Gusick uh, in First Peter. He was talking about some of the special things or things you might not even really have put together about Peter. But Peter's name is mentioned in the Gospels more than anyone except the name of Jesus. No one speaks in the Gospels as often as Peter did. How many of y'all knew that? <laughs> Peter speaks more than anybody in the Gospels. How many of y'all resemble that remark besides me? All right. <laughs> and uh, so no one speaks as much as Peter did. And Jesus spoke more to Peter than any other individual. Jesus rebuked Peter more than any other disciple. So if you think there's no hope for you, how many of y'all think, dude, there's no hope for me because, man, Jesus, I'm always messing up. John Michael, is that you, man? I'm always messing up. Dude, if there's hope for Peter, there's hope for you, man. And that's why Peter's preaching hope because if anyone had hope, it was Peter that he'd quit messing up. Now, he had to be crucified to actually fully experience that, and he's experiencing that in heaven. But, man, 
There was, uh, Peter was the only disciple who dared to rebuke Jesus. <laughs> you remember that? Peter actually rebuked the perfect man, Jesus. And uh, he, had some, he had some guts here. Peter confessed Jesus more boldly and accurately than any of the other disciples. Peter denied Jesus more forcibly and publicly than any of the other disciples. Jesus praised Peter more than any other disciple. Jesus addressed Peter as Satan alone among the disciples. Can you imagine Jesus calling you Satan? <laughs> it's like, Jack, okay, I think I messed up. All right, I'm going to quit arguing with you right now, Jesus, if that's where you're putting me. Uh, when Jesus woke up early in the morning to pray before the sun came up, Simon Peter and other disciples on a hunt to find Jesus and it was Peter who went and told Jesus what he should really be doing at that point. <laughs> so he kind of stepped out a lot. And of course, when you're telling somebody perfect what to do, you're, you're what? You're wrong. <laughs> yeah, so that was Peter a lot. So if you find yourself being wrong, you find yourself stepping out and going, uh-oh, and backing back up, you're in good company. The man who did that more than anybody is going to teach us how to have hope and what to truly have hope in. Remember, Peter put his nets out at the direction of Jesus to bring in a massive catch of fish. These are some stories, and you can look more up about him. Peter went on a unique outreach trip with the other disciples. Peter stepped out of the boat during a raging storm, and he walked on the water. Y'all remember that? Dude, is that going to give him some credibility and faith? <laughs> yeah, because he knows what it's like when you stop looking at Christ and look at the circumstances. And what happened to Peter when he did that? He sank. Yeah. So this guy, he knows a little bit about hope, you know. And what about when he was sinking? When he was sinking, what did he immediately do? Reach up, help, save me. And he hoped he was right. And was he right? Yeah, Christ saved him. Um, Peter was the one who said, Lord, to whom uh, shall we go? In other words, when Jesus said, hey, where are you guys? You know, are you guys going to leave me too? Peter's like, dude, where else are we going to go? We already gave up our fishing business. We gave up all we've got is you. And plus, we believe you are the Lord. And so we're following you. He's the one who said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And God then later said to him, he said, you know, upon that giant boulder of a statement, little rock, I will build my church. And I am grateful for one as a pastor. Jesus builds the church and not me. Amen. Yeah. And so, but it was on that statement. That's what the church is founded on. That's what it's built on. Nothing more, nothing less than the gospel that he is the living God. And then Peter saw Jesus. Dude, how about that? Peter saw Jesus transfigured with Moses and Elijah. Remember, he saw him in a glorified body. And what did Peter say? It was so good right there. He said, what should we do? Dude, let's build some tents and just stay here. And, uh, and God said, no, I got some more things for you to do. And so keep that in mind. He was there. He experienced the glory of God almost in the full capacity. Man, and, then, and, and God now had other things for him to do, which included suffering. But he, through the suffering, he got to know Christ more than he could ever know without him. And so uh, Peter was the one who asked Jesus, oh, how many times should we forgive somebody? Boston, how many times should we forgive somebody? Seven times? That's being awful generous. And what did Jesus say back to him? Seven times 70. <gasps> you know, and as often as they need forgiving, you forgive them. Peter was the one who asked Jesus after the encounter with the rich young ruler. And uh, listen to this. What he said, remember with the rich, rich young ruler? And the guy walked off, you know, and never got saved. And Jesus said, well, what do we get for following you? <laughs> or Peter said to Jesus, what do we get for following you? Peter was honest, man. How many of y'all did Peter, Peter asked the questions that you only wanted to ask, right? 
You know, how many of y'all have God given, has God given that role to where you're the one that asked the question? Yep, yep, yep. I, I know there's a few more of you out there. Exactly. So you can identify this guy who's got some street cred with Jesus. He's got some experience in, 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 in both glory and suffering. He's got it all. Man, this guy is going to teach us how to have hope. Man, um, we could just keep going uh, uh, with this about different things about Peter, but I'm going to encourage you to kind of read on. But you know, this guy, Peter, how many of y'all think we can listen to Peter when he tells us about hope? How many of y'all think we can listen to him when he talks about suffering? Have you ever had somebody talk to you about suffering who's never been through it? Somebody talk to you about hope who's never really needed any? Somebody talking about needs when they, they don't really understand, you know, and so on. Peter's got it. Peter's speaking from experience, firsthand experience in this. So here's my question to you. Do you want hope? All right. And every time I say, do you want hope? You don't have to look at anybody in particular because my wife hates that when you make somebody point to the person next. How many of y'all hate when in church pastor goes and, and look at the person next to you and say this? How many of y'all hate that? Let me see your hand. All right. Good, good. Then you don't do that, man. But just say it out loud. Every time I say, you want hope, I want you guys to say, you've got hope. Just point to the whole group. Say, you got hope, all right? Here, let's try this one more time. You guys want hope? You got hope. You guys want hope? You got hope. That's it, man. And next time you hear where somebody wants hope, just go, you've got hope. That's why you got to know this message, because the hope that he gives us in these first two verses these first two verses, Terry, I ask you this every week, how long can two verses possibly take? As long as the Holy Spirit wants them to take, because, dude, there's some rich stuff in these two verses. But he's going to show us what our hope really needs to be in and how this hope can never be taken away. You're hoping in temporal things, it can go away. You're hoping in... in it, this, this temporary world, your, what you think is, is, is never going to change. How many of y'all have seen things change in your lifetime that you never dreamed would change? Yeah. And it's going to keep changing. It's dynamic. And as you were here last week and you heard from the book of Daniel, that metal gets worse and worse and worse. And as a society, we're going to get worse and worse and worse until Christ who is the rock that not, is not cut by human hands, comes and smashes the whole thing, and he sets up a kingdom that will last for how long? Yeah, so what do you want to put your hope in? That society that's going to get crushed or the stone that was not cut with human hands that crushes it all and sets up a kingdom forever and ever. And that's where Peter's saying, that's where your hope needs to be. And God's Holy Spirit wants to reveal to each of us where our hope is, because a lot of times our hope isn't in that kingdom that will never end. We've got hope in that, but we have all this other little hope. And it's when all this other little hope starts messing up that all of a sudden, man, when that other hope messes up, we forget all about the big hope. He wants it all to be about the big hope. And you see all that little hope messing up. You know that's part of his plan, increasing your hope into big hope. I hope that makes sense. You want hope? You got hope. Amen. Don't forget that. Now you can go to sleep if you think, but no, if I see you sleeping, I'm calling on you, all right? Man, um, all right. Suffering. This is part of what Peter says because he's preaching, he's writing this to a group of people that are under persecution. Do you know how bad 
Scripture, especially the New Testament, is being taken out of context these days. Do you know that Scripture, the New Testament especially, is almost all written to persecuted believers? I dare you show me a book where it's not. Even the book of joy, which is Philippians, where Paul, guess where he wrote it from? Where did he write it from? A prison. Yeah, but he saw good in that. He found joy in that because he knew it was part of God's plan. So this world, man, it, he said, Jesus told us, if you live godly, John Michael, what? If you live godly, what? Yeah, yeah you, no, that's the wrong answer for this one. If you live godly, you're going to be persecuted. Yeah, and by the way, these are our friends, John Michael and Brittany, and uh, they're, uh, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, no, I thought I got, you act like I got their names wrong, but anyways, uh, uh, they're actually missionaries to Africa in the Ivory Coast. And uh, they're back now, uh, but as their young family, how many kids y'all got? Like 10 million or? 26 in Africa and three here, okay? And so they have an orphanage in Africa, actually, in the Ivory Coast. And uh, Emily was actually going to be over there. COVID changed a lot of people's plans, right, Russ? And, but it's all God working those plans. They're back here. And by the way, um, if you're looking for lunch, I'm not buying you lunch because I can't afford to buy you lunch, but we are going to Santos and we're going to hang out and they're going to eat lunch and uh, we're going to hang out and hear about what they're doing in Africa. And it's not a fundraising thing or anything like that. Don't worry about all that. All they would take your funds if you wanted to give them, but that's not what it's for. It's just to have fellowship with them to just, man, hear what God's doing in other places. They had a huge bout, man. We've been, I was praying for them a long time and my wife, uh, Dude, she prayed for you harder than I've seen. Man, she just prayed hard. You went through malaria bouts, right? How many, all your kids got something, man. Did, did you guys get it too? It got confusing because every day somebody was dying of malaria and literally. So you want to talk about people that know about hope? Did you have any hope in Christ? Did you ever start losing some hope, Brittany? Yeah. And that's where you needed believers to step up and, and pray for you. And God would toss you a bone and you got hope. Has your hope and your faith grown and your love grown through that? Yeah, I didn't mean to put them all on the spot. Well, I did too, but I just want you to know we are going to go eat lunch at Santos afterwards. And if you want to buy your own lunch, man, dude, for all, by all means, join us. And I'm uh, just qualifying that. So, uh, but anyways, these, these guys right here, they're awesome. But listen, he was preaching to, to, to people who were saved, but they were in intense persecution. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that later. But, and they're like, we, we gave our life to Christ. Now we have no jobs. Now we're being burned at, at garden parties for Nero. Now we're being chased by wild animals. Now we're being martyred. And why should we have hope when all this is going on? And Peter's trying to tell him, he says, this is the theme. He says, suffering to whatever level your suffering is. He says, suffering, the only way you're going to get through suffering is if you experience God's what? What's the G word? Grace. He said, whatever suffering you have, God will give you equal amount of grace. Would you guys testify to that? And you don't have to just say yes because you're in church, man. Literally, would you testify that God's grace got you through that, that time? Yeah. And, and so, so, man, when you have suffering to whatever measure of suffering you have, God will give you an equal measure, even, even a greater measure of grace. And when you experience that grace, who gets all the credit for it? God, so it leads to glory. So suffering leads to grace and grace leads to glory. And you're going to hear that a lot in this book. So you're like, dude, I ain't coming. I don't hear about suffering. Well, well, good. Then you won't know how to deal with it when it comes to your life because you cannot go anywhere in this world right now where you're not going to have the opportunity to experience some kind of suffering, especially if you live for Christ. It's coming. 
It's here. And man, this is not where our hope is. This is not our home, man. We are looking so forward to our other home, but we got to know that, man, God has got our back. God has got grace to cover any suffering we have. In fact, oh, Zane, I can't ask him, but you're in the Romans Bible study. In Romans chapter 8, somewhere around 13 or so, uh, verse 13, it says that we know that um, it says that the suffering of this life, how many of y'all know this first? The suffering of this life is nothing. How many of y'all would say the suffering of this life is nothing? Because you don't have anything to compare it to. You're like, dude, you didn't have my week. It's everything, <laughs> you know? I caused it on my own. Somebody else caused it. It's, you know, it starts out by saying the suffering of this life is nothing. And then he compares it. He said, compared to the glory that will be revealed to us one day. Dude, you understand when you experience firsthand the glory of heaven, the worst thing you ever experience on this life will be what? It'll be what? Nothing. nothing. It'll be absolutely Nothing. And you're like, well, that's easy for you to say. Well, no, it's not. It's just as hard for me to say as it is for you. That's why I've got to keep my eyes on the future, keep my eyes on glory, keep my eyes on my job of what I have right now, and keep my eyes on what he is doing for me right now, and knowing that my home in a short period of time is in eternity, all expense paid trip to paradise forever, man. How many of y'all are looking forward to that? Just a little bit. Yeah. That's where we go. So suffering leads to grace and grace leads to glory. So if you don't have suffering, if you don't have suffering, man, you're going to be missing a lot of grace. If all you do when suffering comes is pray that God removes it, he's like, all right, you don't want any grace? Okay. <laughs> That's what we do. Same thing with faith. He gives us situations that require faith so we can please him. And as soon as the, it comes and, it's not, and, and, and we need faith or we need grace to handle it, we're like, God, get this out of my life. In Jesus' name, get it out of my life. And Jesus is like, it is not in my name to get it out of your life. I want to bless you in the middle of this. I want to pour grace on you. I want to take you through this so when you go through it with my grace and my mercy and my love, you can tell everybody firsthand what is the real deal. And they can have hope. That's what the purpose is. Suffering leads to grace and grace leads to glory. You're going to hear that a lot. So first thing that's going to give you hope. Gary, you look like a man that can use some hope right now. You'll catch some, you won't catch fish this week. There's going to be a swell. Did you know that, dude? This week, and it's going to settle down. We have waves, man. How many of y'all are pretty stoked God gave us waves? Yeah. Yes, sir. All right. So this week, and uh, I don't have to worry about it. Think about them now. I was thinking... Tom, 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 we were thinking about surfing this morning, but we kept our priorities in line. All right, but you have been chosen by the Father. The first thing he wants you to know that brings you hope. Peter, the first thing he wants you to know that's going to bring you hope is you have been chosen by the Father. Dude, Nate, you were picked to be on God's kickball team and you didn't even have any legs. <laughs> that's the way I like to look at it. Think about it. You've been picked to be on God's kickball team and you ain't even got no legs. Well, why would he pick somebody with no legs? Because he's giving you supernatural legs. And you're on the best kickball team in the world. Dude, you have been picked by God. Does that not excite you? You have been, if you truly understand that, that you have been picked by God, does that not give you hope? If God picks you, how long does he pick you for? Forever, dude. So, okay. And if God picks you, who's the one keeping you picked? Who's the one protecting you since he picked you? Who's the one providing for you since he picked you? Who's the one directing you since he picked you? He is. He's in charge of it all. So check this out in the first two verses here, first part of it. 
First of all, he starts the message out or the, the letter out by saying, Peter, you know, he's telling us, I wrote this. And all he says is Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, the dude who had all the accolades, the dude who Jesus talked more about than anyone, the dude who challenged Jesus, the dude who had more stories, interactions with Jesus than almost anybody. Here's how he starts off. He says, man, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ wrote this. He's humble because he realizes he got picked for God's kickball team and he didn't have any legs. It wasn't that. Why, why did God pick Peter? Was Peter awesome when God picked him? No, he's another fisherman. And No, but he picks you because he knows your potential if you follow him, which we'll talk about in the second point. But Peter, his name was Simon Peter. When he came into the world, his name was Simon. We don't really know. Simon was a common name. Simon, it's not even significant of what it really means, but Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, son of, of Jonah. So there were a million Simons. This one happened to be the son of Jonah, okay? And that was his name. But when he hooked up with Jesus, Jesus gave him another name. What was his other name? Help me out. Peter. And who knows what Peter means? Rock. So here it is, this mushy, smelly fisherman. He names him Rock. And Peter... Now, now, if God named us rock, we would probably try to do all these great things to try to try to live up to that name, right? And what Peter's going to tell us is you can try in the flesh all you want to live up to the name God gave you and your potential, but the only way you're going to get there is by grace. The only way you're going to get there is by following him. The only way you're going to get there is quit complaining every time something happens and realize it is what it is, and it's there for God's glory and for your good. And see it from his perspective so you can help everyone see it from that perspective. Because God's got this, man. If God don't have it, who has it? Nobody. How many of y'all believe God's got it? How many of y'all believe God's up there going, oh my goodness, I know I created this world. Oh my goodness. But it is out of control and there's nothing I can do anymore. Just give it up. Y'all believe that's what God is doing? But how many by our actions believe that's what God's doing? He said he's sovereign. He's in control. Nothing happens by accident. We've got to react and we act based on faith as to what God wants to have happen in every situation. So he gets glory and we become more like him. Peter, and he calls a lot of times in scripture, Simon Peter. Okay, you ever call your girls by different names? You know, yeah. Well, Simon, when he called him Simon, he was, was he being bad or good? That's his old name. He was being bad. When he calls him Peter, what's he doing? Yeah, good name. Yeah, your saved name, you know. And Simon Peter. I think when he called him Simon Peter, he was saying, hey, so what are you going to do? Are you going to be Simon or are you going to be Peter? I think he calls us that sometimes, right? How many, how many of you ever heard him call you Simon Peter in the respect that he throws something out and says, okay, what are you going to do? I know what your flesh wants to do. I know what you'd normally do, but you know what I want you to do. So what are you going to do? Simon Peter, what are you going to do? And that's the question we have with every situation he puts us in. And Simon Peter, man, look, he denied Christ three times. He denied him three times. And you remember what he said before he denied him? He said, you're going to deny me three times. And, and, and Simon Peter said, what? Oh, no, I'm not. Hell, no, I'm not. I'll go. I'll, I'll protect you with everything. He said, you're going to deny me three times. Does it ever make sense to argue with God? No, because you're going to be what? Wrong. Yeah. And so he's, he's like, no, I'm not going to. And, and then when Malchus came, do you guys remember when Malchus came to arrest Jesus? What did Simon do? He pulled out a sword and did what? He cut off the dude's ear. Did Jesus ask him to do that? No, that's why Jesus put the ear back on. That would have been, I would have been questioning whether I was crucifying Christ after I saw that ear go back on. Right, Terry? 
Dude, you're one of the big Roman soldiers, and all of a sudden you see an ear get cut off and put back on, and now you're like, oh, he's nobody. We're crucifying. I'm like thinking, I don't know. You guys got this. I think I'm going on furlough a little bit. <laughs> you know, I'm going to take a day off. But Peter did every, tried to do everything in the flesh, tried to do all. He denied him three times. And you know what? In Luke, Luke 22, if I'm not mistaken, Luke 22 is the only time where it mentions that after he denied him the third time. Do you remember when Jesus now walked by? And what did he do after, Jesus, after Peter denied him the third time? What did Jesus do? It says that he looked at him. And you know what? Now, if somebody denied you after you've been illegally arrested, gotten the snot beat out of you, beyond recognition, all these times, hey, John Michael, some, somebody had denied you, they didn't stand up for you, they didn't have their back, and they said they were going to have all that. When you look at them, what would your look say? Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. Look of disdain, like, God, I can't believe you didn't. How many of y'all have that? You know what? In the Greek, the look that Jesus gave him, that word for look, you know what it means? It means that he looked and felt sorry for Peter. He had sympathy for Peter. He's like, Peter, this temptation is nothing compared to the temptation. Peter, I love you more than I love me. I don't care that you just didn't. I already knew you were going to do that. I already saw it. But Peter, I love you. And it wasn't until after Peter was reconciled to Christ that he understood the love that someone gives you when you feel like you've let them down. That unconditional love, man. Jesus wasn't looking in at, at him with disdain or like shaking his head like, ha, I knew you were a big wuss. Y'all talk. I'll show a no-go. That wasn't the way Jesus looked. Jesus was like, oh, Peter, I just want you to get this. Peter, you're going to need this strength for what I've called you to do. Peter, I'm trying to take you to a place you can't go on your own. Peter, Peter, man, learn from this. And he did. And it was only when he went back to Rome, shortly after the apostle Paul got, died, that Peter came back to Rome in the early 60s, probably 62, 64, somewhere in there. And he wrote these books. And then in 64, Peter got killed by the persecution that was there. So he wrote this, on, not on his deathbed, but right as persecution was heating up. So Peter, an apostle, that's his calling. He was an apostle on a very high calling. There were only 12 of them. There's no more. I don't care what you got on your business card or on your church sign. There was 12 of these guys. But let me ask you a question. What's your calling? What's your calling in all this? Kenneth, an electrician. But look what he said. No, no, I'm, I'm being serious. Because look what he said. Peter, an apostle. And what's the last three words? Of Christ Jesus. Kenneth an electrician of Christ Jesus. Jordan, an educator of Christ Jesus. Destiny, Chick-fil-A boss, commander, line, line smoother, line whatever you got. What do you guys call it? You guys have a cool name for that, right? The one who, a what? Yeah, a drive-through like queen. All right, four. Destiny, the drive, Chick-fil-A drive-through queen of Jesus Christ. Yeah, dude, what's your calling? You're like, well, I'm just this, or I'm this, this. I'm retired. <laughs> I'm for Jesus Christ. Whatever you are, it's for Jesus Christ. And by the way, if you're retired, now you can do whatever you want for Jesus Christ because you don't have to get paid for it. Amen. You got more time to do it, right, Gary? Amen. A snook fisherman on the beach for Jesus Christ. But does God ever bring anybody to you to talk to? All the time. 
And that's why he's got you there, bro. So what's your occupation? He was an apostle, but the important thing is the last part of Jesus Christ. Don't miss that in your occupation. Don't miss that in your neighborhood. Don't miss that in your family and in your community. So this is who's writing this, and he's got some street cred telling us about hope. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So we go on to the next part, and he says, this is who I'm writing to. I'm writing these to, to those who are elect. Okay, now we're getting into some theological words where denominations have been split and people want to have arguments. And I'm just going to say I'm not going to support one way or the other on all of this. I'll tell you the way I feel about it. But what I'm going to tell you is this. I qualify this stuff by saying you can argue all you want and miss what the writer is trying to communicate to you about it. And, and the reason I'm saying that you can't understand it in our finite mind, if we can't figure it out, all the great theologians of all times still have fights and arguments about something. Do you not think maybe it's above our pay grade? Do you think that maybe our finite mind is so small that we're not going to really figure it out until we get to heaven? But you got to figure out where you're going with this. And I'm going to tell you, every time... The word elect or the doctrine of election is mentioned in Scripture by Paul, by Peter, by any of them. You know who it's mentioned to? Believers. And so you know what he's saying, Chris? He's saying, you're elect. He's not saying they're not, they're not that. He's saying, you're elect. It's, it's, a, it's a family name. It's a family secret, a family thing. He said, you're elect. And what that means is God picked you for the kickball team and you ain't got no legs. You're elect. He picked you. Quit trying to figure out what it means for everybody else, what it means for you. It's always written, not so we can have some theological argument. It's written so that you can be encouraged. Hey, uh, uh, Rena, does it make a difference that God picked you? Does that make a difference in your life? Do you ever wake up living like, you know, finding encouragement for the fact he picked you guys to come down here, leave your other life and come here? I know it does because I read your blogs. I read the things you write. Our election means the world, that God picked us. You didn't just fall into Christianity. He picked you. You say, well, he picked me like a booger. I'm like, well, then I'm just saying he picked you. And that's where it goes. I don't understand it all. And I'm not going to waste my time on trying to understand it all. I'm going to take it for what it's worth and realize I'm not an accident. I didn't come into this on my own. The fact is, is that he chose me. How many is that? Does that make, make you feel good, Christine? Does that make you feel good? He chose you. And that's every time it's written, that's what it's written for. It's written to encourage believers that, look, you have been chosen by God. And Fernando, if you've been chosen by God, do you think there's any accountability to him? Yeah. You didn't just choose it. You can't pick and choose and whatever. He chose you. And he bought you and paid a price. And you know what? He bought you for a purpose. He chose you for a purpose. And so guess what? You have, you're going to answer to him one day for that. You have some accountability for that. Now, we could go on and talk about this, and people do. There's whole denominations started. I have seen these doctrines. I've seen names put to them and terminology. And don't ever use terms and names because they mean something different to everybody in all of this. And you want to sit around your seminary class and talk about it? Go ahead. Sit around your house and talk about it. Go ahead. But the fact is, in church, he's using this. He's using it in Scripture to encourage you because, Chris, he picked you. Out of all the people in the world he could have picked, who did he pick? Yeah. What does that mean to you? <coughs> Everything. 
And that's all that's supposed to mean right there. That's it. And sometimes we waste our time trying to figure things out that we don't even have the brain power to figure out. How much does a brain weigh? Does anybody know? Anybody know how much a brain weighs? Come on, some of you guys are those trivial pursuit people that know stuff that doesn't matter to anybody else. But your great trivial pursuit partner, how much? Like, how much does it weigh? Three pounds? Yeah, dude, that's a big brain even, three pounds. Three pounds! Do you think three pounds can figure out Almighty God? <laughs> no! There's a lot of stuff we're not going to know till we get to heaven. But he says, you got, I, I'm writing to those who are elect, so I want you to be encouraged. God picked you. I don't care what kind of persecution you're going through. I don't care what kind of situation you're experiencing. I want you to know more than anything right now. I don't want you to have a theological argument discussion with the people who are persecuting you. I want you to be encouraged and have hope by knowing that God has picked you. And next time you are in persecution, next time you are going through a tough situation, you should be encouraged because you know now that God did what? He picked you. Okay, all right. Sorry, I knew you'd get that, all right? He picked you. Now, you want to view yourself as a booger, go ahead, but I am the elect of God, <laughs> all right? And uh, so he says, those who are elect. And, and you know what that means? That means that th there was no reason really for him to pick you, you know? It wasn't like, oh, dude, this guy's going to do something. Oh, my. No, it was because he loved you. He just chose you. Did you deserve to be chosen? No, you didn't, buddy. He picked you, and that's where your worth comes from now, that he chose you. He picked you, and it's done by grace. That's what grace is. He picked you. He chose you for no reason other than the fact that he loved you. Hey, the fact that God truly loved you enough to pick you, does that not encourage you? Yeah. And when you think it's all going down, it's all crashing in, chicken little, the sky's falling, you know, and everything's going to... Do you think that you can find some hope in the fact that he picked you and he loves you? And, it, and how long does he, he do all that for? It doesn't stop the minute the sky starts falling in. It doesn't stop the minute someone else gets elected. It doesn't stop the minute something changes. No, it's forever. So he says to those who are elect, man, just, just take it for what it's worth. Chosen by grace. Because I'm going to ask you to take this next word for what it's worth. Exiled, which means sent out. Hey, John, Michael, and Brittany, were you guys sent out to Africa from where? Like Graceville or where are you from? Panama. Oh, Panama City. All right. You, you have a rebel flag bikini, bro? And no, I'm just messing with you. <laughs> but Panama City. No, you're from Panama City, all right? And, and you got sent out to where? To Africa. Now, you got, how'd you get sent out? I can't hear you, man. They can't hear you, bro. How'd you get sent out? Who, who, who sent you out? Okay, your church, and did you get a calling from God? Yeah, yeah. and God said, hey, I want you. Did you immediately, like it was one day you woke up, hey, we're going to Africa, and then boom, no. Now Brittany's going, ah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, did he have to tell your wife? Okay, cool. And, and, but so you got sent out, you got called by God, and there it was, and, and you kind of volunteered for it, right? Okay, that's being sent out. You know, when you guys left Virginia and you came down here to be FCA uh, lacrosse directors, you got sent out, right? And so you left Virginia because God put it in your heart. One thing happened and you had a tough decision to make to come down and start a whole new life with your five million kids. Why do missionaries always have five million kids? I'm just wondering. But anyway, don't answer that. All right. But anyways, uh, but you were sent out. You were sent out and called by God. You know how these guys were sent out? 
Now that's being sent out, and that is awesome because that is how, that's how we're sent out. Every, wherever we work, we're being sent out. I don't want you to think I'd be a missionary. You are a missionary. All right, so those who are elected, chosen by God, exiles, they're people that are sent out, but these exiles, you know how they were sent out? Well, they were sent out by persecution. At this point in time, when Peter's writing this, he's telling these guys, he's saying, guys, I got a premonition from God, if you want to call it that. I got a prophecy. God, I, you know, something's going to change here in the next few years. I want you guys to be ready for some intense persecution. That's what Peter is getting ready to tell him. The persecution was just starting. The handwriting was on the wall, but he said things are fixing to get ramped up. That's what Peter is saying in this book. Things are fixing to get ugly. And, and it was around this time that Nero, who was a psycho lunatic, I don't care what you study about Nero, there's nobody saying, oh, he was a wholesome, really wise, great guy. No, he's a psycho lunatic. And he burned Rome. Now, some people try to discredit that, whatever, but he burned Rome, dude. And, and it says one of the theories on why he burned Rome is because there was no place left to build. And he was like, I want to burn this down so I can rebuild it. Everybody's going to love me. Hey, Tom Lucinda, you get home and your house is burned down. And your neighbor's like, no problem, dude. I won the lottery and I'm building you a new one. It's like, well, wait, but I had my surfboard in there and I had this and I had what? You know, other people didn't appreciate Nero's theory as much as he thought they would. And he was like, wow, but this is what a psycho lunatic does. They do things and like, wow, nobody really liked it. They don't get it. I burned all their junk so I can build it again. And I'm going to use their tax money to do it, no problem. But, but, but they, they, they don't appreciate it. So all of a sudden, they start turning on him, and he had to find somebody to blame it on. So he started blaming it on the Christians because they were easy, and they also needed something for the Christians because up to that point in the early 60s, Christianity was kind of equated with Judaism. But the Jews who were, who were the Judaizers were saying, no, Christianity isn't part of Jew, being Jewish. It's not being a, a Judaism. It's not part of it. No, it's not. And then Paul had to open his big mouth and go to court, right, in Roman court, and say, no, we are nothing like the Jews. We believe the Messiah has come. He's risen from the dead, and we worship a living God. And so Paul opens his big mouth. All of a sudden, Rome is now faced with a unique situation. They're like, oh, so you guys aren't part of Judaism, which is an approved Roman religion? You're not part of that? No, we are not, Paul was emphatic. And the Christians had to be emphatic. And all of a sudden, they're like, so you're not interested in uh, emperor worship? You know, we have this thing where we take incense and we, we pour the incense out and say, oh, Caesar is Lord. You, you guys aren't interested in doing that? They're like, no, we only worship one person. Jesus is Lord. And, and they wouldn't worship the, 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 even to stay alive, even to keep their jobs, even to keep peace in the community. They wouldn't worship the false god of the emperor. So Rome's like, God, we got to do something here. Ha, huh, I got an idea since they're mad at me already and I got to do something about it. I'm just going to blame it on the Christians. And we're going to persecute them. We're going to show them. So hopefully if we do bad things to them, other, other believers will not want to stand up for their faith. But do you know what? The blood of martyrs has always been the seed of the church. You hear that? The blood of martyrs has always been the seed of the church. The more you persecute the true church of Jesus Christ, the more it grows. Because those people have to live by faith and that's all they've got. All the people play in church, dude, they're gone. They go join another religion. 
wanted to fit in. That's all they did with Christianity was be comfortable with it. But now that it ain't comfortable, I'm going somewhere else. But the true Christians stand up and no longer do you have a watered down version of Christianity with persecution. But now you got a, a faithful, strong concentration of Christ. And so the church kept growing and the persecution kept growing. Nero literally took a family like this. And they would take these little girls and this mom and they would have a coliseum of a bunch of godless, ruthless people that would be cheering it on and send you four out into the stadium with lions, tigers and bears. Oh, my. And and literally watch you guys run and have bets on how long. Oh, I think Jules is going to last the longest. You know, Selma, Selma's going to fight the hardest. They take bets on it and watch him be destroyed by animals. Meanwhile, they've taken Terry just because he's bigger and he'd last longer. And they either wrapped him in some kind of flammable rags or even dipped him in hot wax or both and light him on fire at a garden party to be a torch. That's how sick Nero was. That's what the persecution was that, was, that this New Testament was written under. That's where Peter's saying, dude, I know it's kind of getting crazy right now, but you haven't seen anything yet. In the next few years, it's going to get really crazy. And I want to encourage you, even though it gets crazy, the crazier it gets, the more grace is available to you and the more glory God gets in it all. That's what he's sharing. People who are truly under persecution. So that's what happened. You know, Terry, you're switching neighborhoods, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying something like that. That's all that, that happened to your other neighbors. Guess what? I'm going somewhere else. And guess what God did? Hey, by the way. Did Nero get to do all that without God's permission? No. You know who, who's in control of all of that? God. Minute you're dead as a believer, you're, minute you're absent from the body, you're present with who? It ain't about this life. You got to get that. That's what Peter's trying to help us get. It's not about this life. Absent from the body is present with the Lord. And, and by the same token, the people who he gave wisdom to, you know what they did? They took off. And they, they took off to these places here, to Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. They went to the northern coast of uh, the Mediterranean Sea, and they started churches there. So God spread the gospel all over the place using persecution. God has a plan. You might think you're in some persecution. You might think you've got some tough times. You've got some situations Man, and God wants to do nothing but get glory out of it. He wants to be, he wants to use you in this. And by the way, who purchased you? He did. So who has the right to do whatever he wants with you? If you've truly been purchased, he does. But if you never really have been purchased, you're still on layaway. <laughs> then you know what? You can pull yourself back off layaway. But if you've been purchased, dude, you got no choice in the matter. You live for him. You trust him. And when it all goes down and it's over with, boom. You say, well, yeah, so it's easy for you to say you're not a torch at a garden party. Yeah, but the minute that person died, the minute they were in glory. You think they wanted to come back? <laughs> no, they were like, dang, why didn't I get here sooner? You heard the bad joke where somebody was like, oh, they get to heaven like, this is awesome. Why didn't I get here sooner, Susan? You'd appreciate this one because you're a health nut. But, you know, and God's like, well, if you didn't eat all that oat bran, you could be there. Take all them stuff. If you didn't go to Dr. Flink, you could have been there already. <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah but we do have to be responsible and he wants to use us while we're here so he says man i'm pre i'm writing this to those who are elect man you guys were chosen for god's kickball team and you didn't have any legs in other words there's no reason for him to pick you other than the fact he loved you and it was by grace 
and your exiles you were sent out, but don't ever mistake the fact that God has lost control wherever you are is by God's design because he is the master of the lampstand and puts the light wherever he needs it. And if he's the master of the lampstand and you are the lampstand, your job is to shine what? And where do you shine light at? Wherever he puts you, even if it's not where you want to be. So he says, man, he said, this is what I'm writing to. Members of the dispersion. <laughs> dispersion is a mild word. They were dispersed throughout, but it was because they were being heavily persecuted and they were all up in that area. So look what he says also now. This is where you're picked by God. This is so awesome right here. According to the, what's the next word that theologians argue about? What's this word? Foreknowledge. Foreknowledge. Okay, so God knew these people would get saved and these weren't, and that's not fair, and God... No, throw all of that out right now. I want to tell you a really cool definition of foreknowledge. Okay, let's start with the word knowledge. It's the word gnosko. And in fact, when it says in Scripture, Mary did not know a man before Jesus was born, what does that mean? And again, you have to be graphic. It means she didn't have an intimate relationship with a man. She didn't have intercourse with him. She didn't have an intimate relationship with a man prior to that time. You know, when it says God knew somebody, when God ever uses this word, know, gnosko, it's an experiential, intimate relationship. So, in fact, in Matthew chapter 7, when God, Jesus is dividing the church, many people in, in, in the church, not the church, but church members, he's dividing them in Matthew 7, and some people are getting put in the wrong line, like, whoa, whoa, wait, didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I, didn't I, didn't I, didn't I? And he's like, yeah, you did, but I never what? Yeah, I never gnoscoed you. I never had an intimate relationship with you. You did all these things. I don't know why you're even doing them. They don't count. And they're not getting you anywhere. I hope it was worth it while you were there. But I never had it. It was all designed so you and I would have an intimate relationship, and we never had that. Be gone. And he calls them evildoers because they were actually representing the church, but they weren't really representing Christ. And they're gone. They're sent to hell. So it's talking about an intimate relationship. That's what gnosko is, an intimate, loving relationship, a love affair. So when you look at foreknowledge, a pre-gnosko, you know what that means? That means God has been in love with you for how long? Forever. Does that not blow you away? He has had this relationship. In fact, according to Ephesians, all right, what does it say? When did he prepare, when he saved you, when did he prepare all the good works for you? From the beginning of what? Way before you were ever conceived, before you were even thought of by anybody here, God knew you. He had a good know. He intimately has been in love with you since the beginning of time, knowing you were. Susan, does that make you feel good? That God has loved you for how long? Everybody say that God's loved me forever. Doesn't that make you feel good? God's loved me forever. You're like, well, that's good because I haven't. No, it's like, but God's loved me forever. Think about that. Is that not hope that God has loved you forever? He prepared good works for you since the beginning of time. He's been in love with you and he was waiting for you to be born, waiting for you to be born again, waiting for you. Now we can throw a whole lot more into all of that but dude, he's talking about hope and what he's trying to say to us is God has been in love. Emily, how long has God been in love with you? Forever. And is there anyone better to have in love with you than God? Nobody can love you better than God. Hey, 
Selma, I'm going to ask you, I know you, you love your dad and your dad loves you. You think your dad loves you? You do? Yeah, I think he does too. But who's better to be in love with you, your dad or God? <laughs> and your dad doesn't mind you saying that because he knows that. Yeah, there's no one that can love you better, love you more complete, love you more than God. And he's been in love with you forever. So, man, according to his love affair that he has had with you forever. That's how you were picked for his kickball team. And, and again, Tom, Tom, you've been picked kick for his kickball team and you didn't have any what? Any legs. Why would he pick you? Because he's been in love with you forever. Isn't that awesome? There's hope. So the fact you want to lose hope, you want to look at the news and, 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 or you want to see what's going on in different places, your plans aren't working out and you start, oh, man, think about this first point. God picked me. God picked me. He chose me and he's been in love with me forever. If that doesn't give you hope, there is no hope. If that doesn't give you hope, your hope is in the wrong things. Because there's nothing more valuable than being picked and by and loved forever by a God that knows everything, can do anything, and it's everywhere. Man, what an awesome thing. But that's not it. If you act right now, there no, just <laughs> That's only the first part. <laughs> that's the first part. I know I got quiet and you're like, oh dude, is he done? No, dude. I just getting like I'm getting energy for the next one, man. We're almost there. All right, look at this, man. So one uh, the thing that brings you hope is, is God what? Picked you. All right, God picked you. He chose you. Number two, you're being transformed by the Spirit. And there's only half a verse here. This, is, this, this, this gets shorter, you were, but it, not in your life. So he goes on to say, God picked you by, through the foreknowledge of him in the sanctification of the Spirit. Okay, don't miss that. In the sanctification of the spirit. Okay, so when we talk about the sanctification of Christ, the sanctification, sanctification is a process by where you become, you take what you, you, you start as and you become what God has intended for you to become. It is a process. Sanctification of Christ, get this, it happens instantly. The minute you give your life to Christ, the minute you're chosen, the minute all it all goes down, whether you're an Armenian or Calvinist, whether it's before, after, during, in the middle, whenever it happens, dude, the minute you give your life to Christ, guess what happens? You are instantly sanctified by Christ. And what that means is that the blood of Christ, and how much blood did Christ shed? All of it. He paid for you. He covered you with his blood. And now when God looks down at you on your worst day as well as your best day, you know what he sees first? He sees the blood. He sees the atoning blood. He sees the sacrifice Christ performed on the cross, and you are perfect. On your worst day as well as your best day, you get hit by a car, boom. Or last week, get hit by a golf cart, <laughs> boom. You know, all of a sudden, bam, you're done. And he sees the blood of Christ. You have, that's your ticket to heaven when you truly have given your life to him. That's the sanctification of Christ. But look what this says. This is talking about the sanctification of the spirit. So positionally, we have perfection by Christ, but the spirit, how many of y'all, how many of y'all have achieved perfection? All right, let me ask you, how many of y'all have given your life to Christ? Okay, how many of you have achieved perfection, practically speaking? How many of y'all haven't messed up in the last, just, we'll just go with the last week. Vicki, in the last week, have you messed up at all? Oh, my goodness, my image of you is blown. No, I'm just saying. But 
<laughs> All right, okay, Vicky, Vicky. How about, how about the last day? Have you messed up in the last day? How about since you sat down? <laughs> yeah, I bet you have. We don't even know. David said, God, forgive me my secret sins where I screwed up and I didn't even know I did, right? That, that's why David said that in Psalm 19. But literally, so we have a process. We don't look like Christ yet. So the Spirit of God is continually transforming us. He's the one who transformed us to begin with so that we, so that we could even accept the gospel. We could believe the gospel He's the one who made us, gave us the desire and ability to be born again. And then day by day, he's challenging us. And he's helping us to become more and more and more like Christ. Because if we're ever going to have hope, if we're ever truly going to be satisfied, I mean, if, if the goal isn't to become like Christ, then you're going to hate heaven. Just saying. That's what you're going to be. And, and, and that's why he says the more you can become like that here, the better off you will be, period. And so there is a process. So how many of y'all are grateful God's not done with you yet? Brittany, are you grateful God's not done with your husband yet? Or has he achieved that sanctification of perfection? And, you know, uh, he's pretty close, but are, are you glad God's still working on him? Hey, M, uh, Ashley, are you, you glad God's not done with Keone yet? Yeah, how about JJ? <laughs> JJ, you glad he's not done with you, her yet? Yeah, especially in a few more hours. Ah, like... Come on, man. No, but be praying for her. I don't know if you've seen her from the side, dude. You walk behind her, and it doesn't look like anything. And then when she turns, people are like, oh. <laughs> it's like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm praying for you, girl. I am not worthy, <laughs> and I'm praying for you. But so look what he says, man. This gives us hope. One, we've been picked by the Father. Who better could we be picked by than the Father? Number two, man. We have the Holy Spirit of God, the Spirit transforming us moment by moment. Aren't you glad he's not done? How many of y'all would love to live eternity in what you got here? <laughs> Bob, you good? Living e for a million more years in that body that's going to keep getting older. No, dude, I want a new one. I want a new one that doesn't get old. I want one that doesn't desire sin. I want one that's changed. And God said, you know what? You can have one right now. Not a body, but you can have a spirit. You can have the mindset. You can have the soul, man. You, the more you become like Christ, the more fulfilled you will be. So, man, you want hope? Man, know that the Holy Spirit had given up on you. How many of y'all know anybody's ever given up on you? You remember? Man, y'all are lucky you never had anybody give up on you. Because <laughs> it's happened. How many of you ever felt like somebody gave up on you? You know what? God never gives up on you. He's constantly transforming. There's hope. If God had... Hey, hey... What does God know? Does he just know the past and the present? And so he knows the future, right, Jack? So if God isn't given up, that must mean there's hope, right? There's hope. It's not, you're not done. Man, that should bring us hope, bring us encouragement that God hasn't given up, and he's in the process of transforming us daily. Look at the last one real quick. So you are chosen by the Father. You're being constantly transformed by the Son, and you were purchased uh, or, or by the Spirit, and you're being purchased by the Son. Jesus bought you, man. <laughs> Aren't you glad Boston didn't buy you? Like a guitar, you know, I mean, it bought you, and it's like, yeah, okay, well, I'm done with this one. You know, I'm done with that. How many of y'all ever got tired of something you bought and that you really loved at the beginning? Yeah. But he bought you, and he paid the most awesome price for you. And I, I, got, I got to say this. I, I, I recently had a good friend of mine 
for a very special thing. I've never had this happen before, but from a hunting rifle, this is my, kind of my hunting buddy. He's teaching me things. He's got way more wisdom at hunting than me. But he's like, boy, you need a good scope. And I'm like, boy, I need some money for a good scope. <laughs> I don't have any money for it. I didn't say that, but I'm just like, yeah, that'd be nice. And the dude, out of love and our relationship, he bought me a scope, dude. And now this scope is expensive scope. This is a nice scope. This kind of scope that Jack uses, all right? Man, this is the kind of scope that, dude, I could buy two or three of my normal scopes for this scope to go on my hunting rifle, man. It's a beautiful scope. It's phenomenal. Dude, I could throw it up right now, and I could see every pore in your forehead, Jack. That's on the lowest setting, man, and it's crystal clear, and uh, it's, it's beautiful, and it costs a lot. So do you think that when I got it, I threw it under the bed? You think, I, I have a box of scopes under the bed, and if you want some junk for Jesus, I'll give you any of them, but not this one. This one's special, not only because of how good it is, but because why the guy bought it for me and how he bought it for me. That means the world to me. Even if he did buy me one of them cheap ones, I'd be a little disappointed. But he got me a good one. I'm just like, well, Emily, I already got a bunch of cheap ones, man. I would appreciate the thought, but dude, that, this is something awesome that he, man, he, he, he got for me. It's special because he did. So where do you think it is? Jack, where do you think it is? It's on my gun. <laughs> yeah. And it's secured with, with rings that cost almost as much as a scope. No, not really. I was probably like, dang, you know, these ain't them UTGs. No, I'm just like, these are good rings. And, and it's on the gun. And you know where it is? It's in. It's got a neoprene cover on it. So Lord forbid nothing in the gun cabinet ever scratches it. I don't know who's going to be in there to do that. But in case they show up, it's not. And it's in a special place in the corner. It is being protected. Do you think? that you are more important of a purchase for Christ than that scope was for me, by all means. Man, you hear all I was talking about with that scope? Do you know, according to the book of Hebrews, Jesus is up in heaven bragging on you? And you're like, what the heck would he be bragging on? No, there's plenty, your faith. And he's bragging also on your potential. He's like, oh man, when I throw that boy up there, you know, he's like, I'm just saying, he's bragging on you. He loves you. You're more special to him than that scope is to me. And I didn't have that scope when I was showing you all my guns the other night, get you in trouble with your family. But I'm just saying, dude, oh, you're so special to God. Look what this says. You were purchased by the son. I want you to find encouragement in that because Jesus don't buy junk. All right. He doesn't buy junk. And, and he didn't find you in a goodwill clearance bin, did he? You know, Big Lots on sale at Big Lots. First of all, everything at Big Lots is on it. But he didn't, he went and purchased you. He couldn't have paid more for you. So look at, I'm going to read this and then we're going to go back real super quick. He says, for obedience to Jesus Christ for sprinkling with his blood. All right. And he, so he goes on and, and really the way it reads in the Greek is for sprinkling. He's talking to Old Testament people where they, the, the, the high priest would go in once a year and sprinkle blood on the mercy seat hoping god would accept the sacrifice and they wouldn't be consumed and so on so he's using the picture and in hebrews it says that once a year that guy could come into come into the temple and do that nobody's sins were ever forgiven man and, and it talks about but jesus this man offered one sacrifice shedding his blood for us and then sat down on the right hand of god the father in the tabernacle, the Old Testament tabernacle, what piece of furniture did they not have that you're using right now? A chair, because they could never finish paying for sins and then sit down. There was never rest. They were continually sacrificing. But Jesus had one sacrifice, 
He shed with his blood and then he sat down because it is what? Finished. So he said, man, Christ, he, he covered you with his blood. And now who, who owns you? Yeah, so let me ask you a question. Who owns that, who owns that rifle scope now, Jack? Yeah, Jesus does because he owns me, but... Jesus, like, yeah, Jesus owns all my guns, man. <laughs> like, yeah, Jesus owns that, owns that but, but I own that rifle scope. So who gets to choose what it's used for? I do. Yeah. Emily wants to borrow it to fix her car. No. <laughs> Linda wants to borrow it to look at something that, ooh, you know, <laughs> I want to get a little closer look. No. I get to choose because I own it. Now, yes, Jesus owns me, so I'm going to use it for what he wants me to use for. And I do believe he wants me to fill a freezer with deer and pig meat. Yes. But... I'm just saying, but I own it, so I get to choose. So let me ask you a question. If he purchased you with his blood, who owns you? And so who gets to choose what you do? Then how come he doesn't a lot of times? Because we don't get that, I don't think. That's why he starts off with obedience. He owns you. He paid for you, and nobody could have paid more for you than what Christ paid for you, and he owns you. And so... What he's saying is that if you're really owned by him, your life is going to represent a life of ownership by Christ. Your actions are going to show who you're owned by. And so in this, he says, now because you've been chosen by the Father, you're being transformed by the Spirit, and you've been purchased by the Son, he says, man, may peace be multiplied. Uh, he said, uh, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. To get grace, we have to go through suffering. Suffering leads to grace, and grace leads to glory. So he says, may grace, as you go through the suffering, may you experience God's grace, and then when you have grace on this suffering, and now you don't really care, you're cool with it because you're becoming more like Christ, and it's not, it's not affecting you the same way, you have peace. He said, so as you go through these trials, that's really what I want you to find hope in, that this end result is going to be grace is going to lead you to peace. And it's going to lead to God's glory. But it's because you have hope in the fact that God, the Father, has chosen you. God, the Holy Spirit, has got this in your life for a reason. And he's, and, and he's transforming you into the image of his son. And you were purchased by the son. And by the way, how long did he purchase you for? Forever. So here it is. Because you were chosen by the Father and you were being transformed by the Spirit and you were purchased eternally by the Son... You have hope. All right, let's try this again. Do you want hope? You got hope. All right. For those that were sleeping, here we go. You want hope? hope? That's it, man. Don't lose hope. Don't find your hope in this world. Don't find it in your situations, in your jobs, whatever, man. Find it in who you are in Christ. And know that's going to last forever. I can't wait for the rest of the book. Next week, there's some really cool stuff coming up. But this is just a start. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us, and Father, thank you for, uh, for giving us hope, real hope. This world is hopeless, and again, Father, if we try to find our hope in this world, we become hopeless. Help us find hope where hope needs to be found, and that's in you. Father, I pray that when, when we get down and maybe we are feeling hopeless, that you would remind us of this, the fact that, that you picked us for no reason other than the fact that you love us. 
That, that your Holy Spirit isn't done. Your Holy Spirit is constantly transforming us. Your Holy Spirit's the one who took us from being dead spiritually, making us alive spiritually, and that is growing that, that aliveness every single day if, if we will submit. And Father, I, I pray that we would find hope in the fact that we were purchased with the highest price anyone could ever pay for us, which is the blood, but that blood represents the love. You love us more than anyone could ever love us, so help us find our hope in you. Father, I pray if there's someone here that doesn't know when they die they're going to heaven, they are maybe even hopeless, and they do know they're going to heaven, but they're just tired of being here, Father. Father, I just pray for whoever needs it, however they need it, Father, you'd bring us hope. And you would do that as we continue to study this book. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.